Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 1030 a.m. at 1211 1st Avenue North on the third floor. What matters above all else is strength. You look at sort of the way, no matter... No matter what side of the sort of political spectrum you are on, if you look at what's going on, it's a, it's a fight for strength. Is it strength in authority or strength in numbers? Both of them are after the same thing. They're after strength and power. We're told that what we need to do, and this, this starts at a young age. Most of us grew up hearing this. You need to find the thing that you're strongest at. You need to find your one thing. And that's what you need to do. You need to do that thing that makes you different from everybody else that you are stronger in than anyone else. Whatever that thing is, that's what you sort of make your life around. So yeah, you may not be the best looking, but you're the smartest. Well, you may not be the smartest, but you're really good with social skills. And we sort of base our lives around this one strength. And everything we do sort of flows from that. And we're told that whatever that is, that's what you need to leverage. That's what you need to leverage to make it in life. And when things are going bad, what do you fall back on? Well, at least I'm still this. And the trouble is that most of us can't keep up with that all the time. What happens when I can't leverage my strength? What happens when I find somebody smarter than me, prettier than me, more socially adept than me, better at the thing that I thought was my thing? It leads us to to be upset. Because the one thing one of the things that our culture fears the most and hides from and runs from is weakness. Whatever you do, don't show weakness. Even if you're scared, don't let them know. Do not show weakness because weakness is bad. In fact, this comes out in another way. And this is true of us whether we're Christians or not. There is a great stigma if we are not self-sufficient. If I can't make it on my own, what am I? If I need help, if I have weakness that is pervasive in my life, so much so that I can't make it on my own, whether that's financially, occupationally, fill in the blank with whatever it is, we are told to hide our weakness and show our strength in every area of life. Think of the last time you were asked to show your weakness. Let me put it another way. What is the proper answer when you're on an interview to the question, what are your weaknesses? I'm a perfectionist, right? I I just, you know, my weaknesses, I just work too, I care too much. You know, my weakness is that my job is my life. You, you know, that's really my Achilles heel. You, you're trained to answer the question, what is your weakness, by deflecting to a strength. Everywhere. 
And so we come to this passage about Gideon. Gideon who we've been talking about for two weeks previous. And if there's anything we've learned about Gideon so far, is he is not the strongest personality. Right? Remember what he was doing when we first met Gideon? Was he out in the fields flexing his muscles saying, come and get me? No, he was hiding. He was hiding in a vat trying to thresh out this little bit of wheat so he could eat. And then God tells him, Gideon, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go tear down this altar. And Gideon says, yes, I'll do it at two in the morning when everybody's asleep and nobody will see me. And God blesses him. And then God surrounds him with an enormous army, 32,000 people. And what does Gideon do? He says, yeah, God, listen, I know that you have been with me. Uh, I know that you called me face to face. I know that you have spoken to me. I know that you protected my life when they wanted to kill me. I know that you have now gathered this enormous army around me. But could you just do this thing with the fleece? And God says, yeah, I'll do the thing with the fleece. And what does Gideon say after that? Okay, yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Don't be mad. But can you do this other thing with the fleece? So that's where our story picks up. This is just days after Gideon has asked God to give him the signs with the fleece. There's a huge army surrounding him of his people. And God comes to him and he's going to show him something that cuts against the grain of what you and I believe. Because whether we're Christians or not, this idea that strength is important and weakness is bad is ingrained into all of us. And this passage is going to directly critique our culture's obsession with weakness. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand up, and I'm going to read uh, most of chapter 7 of Judges. So let's stand and hear God's word. Then Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Morah in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand has saved me. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. Any one of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I say to you, This one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. Let all the others go, every man to his home. 
So the people took their provisions in their hands and their trumpets, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man, to his tent. But he retained the 300 men, and the camp of Midian was below them in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. But if you're afraid to go down, Go down to the camp with Purah, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hand will be strengthened to go down against the camp. So they went down with Purah, his servants to the outpost of the armed men who were in the camp, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number as the sand that is on the seashore. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream. And behold, a cake of barley tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is none other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. And as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into their hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside of the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side, all of the camp, and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp. At the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch, and they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hand. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hand the torches and in their right hand the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against all the army. And the army fled as far as Beth Shittah, towards Zerarah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah by Tabath. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 3,000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. You see, what you and I do is we hide our weakness or we fixate on it. We hide our weakness away from everyone else or we fixate on it so that's the only thing we think about. And both of those things have the same result. We're unable to see the power of God. When we hide our weakness or dwell on it, both of those prevent us from seeing the power of God. Think about what happened. Here's Gideon, a man who has been skittish all his life. And God says to him, Yeah, there's 250,000, there's 180,000, there's an army that you cannot number out there in the valley below you. And you have 32,000 men. Your numbers right now are beyond scary. You're already on a fool's errand. But here's the problem. There's too many of them. Pause. Put yourself in Gideon's shoes for a second. There is an army, hundreds of thousands of men strong down below you. You have 32,000 men. And God comes to you and said, Yeah, 
you got too many people. Now, if you were in the military, you would listen and go, no, uh-uh, no, 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 that's, that's not how this works. I don't have too many people, God. I have not enough. And they have camels. And we don't have camels. They have better equipment than we do. We're basically a bunch of farmers who are hungry because they've been stealing all our food. And you say that I have too many people? No. And so God says, here's what we're going to do. I want to make sure that you know something and that everyone in Israel knows something. Here's what I want them to know. That I'm going to win this battle. Not you, Gideon. Not the strength of your fighting force. I'm going to win this battle. And so he says, here's the first thing we're going to do. Tell anybody if they're scared, anybody if they don't want to go out to fight, that they can go home. And Gideon stands up in front of the camp of 32,000 people and says, hey, if anyone's scared, they can have an excused absence. Right? I remember when I was uh, in high school one day, they, uh, this was a long time ago, back when the Columbine shootings had happened, and there had been some people scribbling graffiti on the walls of the bathrooms. And they said, you know what? If you're scared because of the graffiti that's being on the bathrooms, next Thursday we'll give excused absences to anybody who is scared. Well, guess how many people showed up for school? Like, no one. I was like, wait a minute. Free excused absence on a Thursday for no apparent reason? Let's just roll that into Friday and call it a four-day weekend. You know, I'm just, I'm out, right? Yeah, I mean, and nobody showed up. So Gideon says, anybody who's scared, go home. And 22,000 of the 32,000 people said, oh, excused absence? I don't have to go fight? Kind of like this being alive thing. So I'll see you guys later. And they leave. And so here's Gideon, his already small army has been cut by a third. And God comes to Gideon and says, not enough. Not enough. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go have a water break. And when you have the water break, I want you to watch how everybody drinks. And so... Gideon says, okay, everybody, it's time for water. It's time for snacks. Let's go down. And they go down to the water, and some of the people kneel down and kind of scoop up the water with one hand and lap it like a dog. Some of the other people get down on all fours, put their face in the river, and take a big drink. And God says, just split them up. And so in the end, 9,700 of them knelt down and put their face in the water to drink. 300 of them lapped up the water like a dog. And God says, oh, the 300. That's your guys. Can you imagine Gideon? Right? Can you imagine Gideon looking? 9,700 on this side, 300 on this side. God says, take that side. Gideon says, no. Can I have that one? Can we like have half of that one? Can I have a third of that one? God says, no, no, no. Those 300 people, those are the ones that we're going to do. Because God does not want to share His glory. God does not want to share His victory with anyone else. Gideon is being forced to realize something. He's being forced to realize that he is not strong. That this battle, that this victory, is not going to come 
because of His strength. You see, the same thing is true for you and I in our lives. God will expose our weaknesses. Which, if we're honest, is a little scary. Because I work really hard to hide my weakness. Many of you work really hard to hide your weakness. How many of us display confidence, display sort of bravado, because on the inside we are terrified that people are going to find out how we don't have our stuff together? How many of us have this sort of, I've got everything together on the outside, but it is a paper-thin veneer that if people could just poke a little hole in, they would see what a wreck we are. I'm talking about you guys right now. I'm not talking about me. That is not at all me. So don't, don't be confused. I do not have the bravado and confidence I have to compensate for the fact that I'm a wreck underneath of it. Except I do. We use humor. We use strength, false strength, to hide our weakness. Think about how this works where you work. What happens when a project goes wrong? How often do we step up and go, oh, hey, I, I was in charge of that project and I didn't know what I was doing and I was too proud to ask for help and so I messed it up. So that's on me, boss. Just the thought of that kind of makes some of our stomachs turn a little bit, right? How many of us, when something goes right despite the fact that we messed it up, sort of casually play it off. I, I meant to do that. <laughs> I totally meant to do that, you guys. This, that was intentional. You see, what we do is we hide our weakness. We hide our weakness from those who we love. How many of us have a very close relationship? Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a friend who we wall off our actual emotional life from because we're scared of letting them in, because we know how weak we are. Some of us hide our weakness. Others of us ignore it. Whenever the thought of what we're actually weak at, what is going on in our lives, creeps up, we stuff it away. Stop, stop, shh, shh. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to think about my. I don't want to think about my weakness. I don't want to think about what's actually going on. What I? No, no, it's not me. All of us have this tendency to overcompensate, to hide, to ignore our weakness. And God comes to us and He says. I want to make sure that you know that what happens in your life is not because of how strong you are, how smart you are, how pretty you are, and how socially adept you are. I want to make sure you know it's not because of how much money you have or how sufficient you are in yourself. I want to make sure you trust in me. 
And so just like he came along and took Gideon's army from 32,000 to 300, he comes into our lives and blows on our house of cards. Some of us need that. Some of us need that reminder that it's not our strength. But others of us know that all too well. Others of us go, yeah, I know it's not my strength. I don't have anything. I've got nothing. I am just weakness. Gideon probably had a lot of that in him. And did you see what God did? God said, you're going to go attack the Midianites tonight. But if you're scared, do you think God knew if Gideon was scared? (laughs) We know Gideon was scared and we weren't even there. Why? Because we've read every, every moment of Gideon's life that we've been shown up to this point, Gideon is scared. And God comes to him and says, you know, if you're scared, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the camp and listen and see what you hear. And so Gideon sneaks down to the camp with his sidekick, Batman and Robin, in the middle of the night going down to Arkham. They go down, and the guy says, I've had a dream. I had a dream that this barley cake rolled into the camp and turned the tent upside down, and it fell. And the guy listening goes, oh gosh, I know exactly what that dream's about. That dream's about Gideon. And Gideon's going to come down here and he's going to kill us all. That must be what it is. Now, Now think about the steps that God orchestrated to make this happen. First of all, the army had to know who Gideon was. God had already told the the bad guys, had already shown to them, whether through their spies, whether through anything else, that the leader of the people of Israel was Gideon. This no-named guy from a small tribe in the middle of nowhere, and he's the youngest in his family. And yet, this Midianite army with people without numbers knows his name. And one of the guys has a dream. So God gives this other guy his dream and says, Gideon, go listen. And Gideon goes and he listens. And the barley cake was the, was the food of poor people. It was the sort of thing you would eat at a homeless shelter. It was For the people of Israel, it was all they could make because the Midianites wouldn't steal their barley because barley was like junk grain. And barley um, bread was... Think of it like gluten-free bread, right? Even people who can't eat gluten don't like gluten-free bread, right? It's, it's a contradiction of terms. It's terrible. It's awful. Why would you do that? That's sort of the way we think about gluten-free bread is the way that they would think about barley cakes, right? If you robbed a bakery, you would take everything except for barley barley cakes and gluten-free bread, right? Nah, y'all can keep those. I'm good. This is the food of poor people. And yet the food of poor people rolls in and destroys the camp. God has set all this up and gives Gideon the chance to go listen. And shock of all shocks, what guard post does Gideon end up at? But the guard post with the guy who had the dream and the other guy who knows what this dream is about. What we can see really clearly through this passage is that on the one hand, God is going to show His strength and expose our weakness, that God will never, ever mock us in the frailty of our weakness. 
He'll never look at us and roll his eyes. He'll never look at us and say, man up. He'll never, ever mock our frailty. Would you ever look at a child who wouldn't go into a haunted house? A five-year-old kid and go, "Ah, scaredy cat, what's wrong with you? No, 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 that's terrible. Same thing here. God says, I'm not going to mock your frailty. In fact, I'm going to encourage you in it. I'm going to set up this chain of events where on the outside it looks just like coincidence, but here's what we know, that God is in charge of everything that happens in this life. So that Gideon goes down in the midst of his weakness, in the midst of his frailty, and is encouraged and strengthened by the dream of a random guard on the enemy team. On the one hand, some of us fail to see God's power because of the way that we will not admit our weakness. Others of us fail to see God's power because all we can think about is our weakness. It plagues us. It dogs us day after day. It is a ball and chain that we wear around us. And when anybody says anything good about us, we can't believe it. We think that we're unworthy of love. Why would God love us? Because I just keep messing up. We dwell on our weakness and it's all we think about. We, we go down into the pit. Well, if I just, if I just did better, then maybe, then maybe God would love me. And we drag ourselves back into the courtroom. And all we can think about is all of those things that we've done wrong. Ah, I did it again today. I messed up again today. Ah, how, how is God going to ever love me? Some of us, some of us have addictive cycles in our life where we try really hard. We say, God, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to work hard on this. I'm going to do this. And then what happens? We mess up. And instead of picking ourselves up and saying, God, you know that I'm weak. I need your help. We say, well, I've already messed up. Let's forget about it and we'll try again next year. Right? We have the sort of New Year's resolution effect. Like, how many resolutions last beyond January 15th? Right? I was talking to somebody last night at our house at game night, and they said, you know, I had known that they were doing the, the, the Whole30 diet during January. And I said, oh, yeah, it's, it's a couple days late. You know, it's a couple days after January. How, how'd the Whole30 thing go? And she's like, oh, it ended up being like the Whole10. <laughs> and even that, I had three sheet days. <laughs> I was like... Okay, so not well, huh? Right? Because what happens? Like, we're, once we have one cheeseburger, we're just going to eat all the cheeseburgers, right? And some of us have the same effect in our lives. When we, when we give in to our weakness, our sin, instead of going, you know what, I'm going I'm, I'm to pray, I'm going to ask for forgiveness, I'm going to ask for Jesus to give me strength and my weakness, what we just go, well, I've already blown it for the day. Might as well go for it. And what happens is we get in the cycle because then we wake up the next morning and all we can feel is shame. And how do we deal with our shame? Well, I'm just going to do that thing again because it made me feel good for about five minutes. Oh, now I've blown it for the day. And we get into this cycle. And what happens is we get depressed. We get upset because all we can dwell on 
is what we're doing wrong. All we can dwell on is our weakness. And so on the one hand, where God says He's going to come in and He's going to expose our weakness for some of us that won't admit it, on the other hand, to those of us who struggle and know our weakness so well, He says, I'm going to encourage you in your weakness. I'm going to love you and show you and remind you how beloved you are. Gideon, I've done the fleece thing. Gideon, I've taken your offering in a miraculous way. Gideon, I have protected you when the townspeople wanted to kill you. But here's what I'm going to do, Gideon. Go down and listen because I've prepared something for you. You are not just weakness. You are my beloved son who I am going to take care of. And when Gideon sees this, when Gideon hears this dream, he falls down and worships God. It's interesting as the story sort of wraps up what happens. Gideon is encouraged. He's ready to go. He's ready to fight. And he goes back and he tells the people, here's the plan we're going to have. We're going to take all 300 people, we're going to light torches, we're going to put pots over the torches, and we're going to put trumpets on our other hand. And we're going to go down and we're going to stand in three groups around the enemy camp. We're going to blow our trumpets, we're going to scream really loud, and we're going to break our pots and hold our torches up. Deal? Everybody goes, if you say so, there's only 300 of us, not like we've got enough people to mount a rebellion against you. And so they go. They go and they do exactly that. Now here's what's interesting. They have a horn in their right hand. They have the torch and jar in their left hand. What significant things for battle are the people of Israel not carrying? Swords? Shields? Spears? No, no, no. They have torches and pottery and musical instruments. If this plan doesn't go well, what happens? They all gonna die. If this doesn't work out, they're all gonna they have no means to defend themselves, they have no means of attack outside of a musical instrument, a pot, and a torch. And so they sneak down, and right after the changing of the guards. When all of the sort of people from the first watch of the night are walking back into their tents, when all of the people from the second watch are getting to their guard post, scrubbing the sleepies out of their eyes, all of a sudden around their camp, there is a huge noise of all of these trumpets being blasted at the same time, of all of these pots cracking, of all of these torches being held up in the air. And what happens? The people who are asleep, the third watch people, wake up and see people walking into their tents in this loud commotion. So what do they do? They think it's the bad guys coming in to kill them for their tents, so they kill them. Oops, that was our own guys. And their swords turn on themselves. The people of Midian killed one another. So that what's left of their army, what little bit is left of their army begins to flee. This could not happen without God. The weakness of Israel is shown. There are 300 people without a sword. There are 300 people without a shield. There are 300 people with a leader who is tentative and a wreck. And God says, I am going to do something incredible. I am going to rout 
this army, not by your strength, not by you having it together, not by your failure to mess up yesterday or the day before, not by how good you have been. I'm going to give you this victory because I love you and I'm doing it on your behalf. It's interesting that God shows us this picture of this battle, this battle and victory that is won without a sword because it mirrors the victory that Jesus won over sin and death. Because did Jesus conquer sin and death with a sword in His hand? Or a shield? Did Jesus conquer sin and death through His own strength? Or was Jesus' victory over sin and death a swordless victory, just like this? Was it Jesus allowing others to take His life, to allowing God to punish Him on our behalf? You see, because Jesus died for all the ways that you and I compensate, for all the ways that we hide and ignore and show our overconfidence for our weakness, for all the ways that we refuse to let others in to our weakness, and for all the ways that we dwell on our weakness, for all the destructive patterns we bring on ourselves because we can't accept God's forgiveness. You see, Jesus takes those things and wins a victory over them, not by showing His strength, not by hitting them harder, but rather by showing us that the last is first, that the weak in God become the strong. And so just like this victory was a swordless victory, the victory of Jesus is a swordless victory over sin and death. And when we begin to see that, when we begin to realize that, what we can see is that when we allow our weakness to be what it is, when we say, God, I am weak and I am frail, I do not have it together, I am not worthy of your love, God says, I know, I know, but guess what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do amazing things in your life. I'm going to do amazing things in your city. Why? So that people will know it's not because of your strength. It's not because City Church had the best, most moral people. It's not because City Church had it all together, because they had a pastor who was strikingly handsome, because you don't. It's not because of any strength in City Church. It's not because of any strength in your life. It's because God says, I'm going to use the weak. I'm going to use the frail. I'm going to use those who are not powerful. I'm going to use those who will admit that they are not sufficient. When we hear this, when we hear how much we are loved and accepted despite the fact that we are broken, despite the fact that we are weak and frail, the first thing it should cause us to do is exactly what Gideon did, which is worship. When you think about what Jesus has done for you, the love and acceptance He offers you, when you, yes, put a hand on your weakness and say, this is who I am, but also look towards Jesus and say, but this is who you are and what you now say about me, the first thing it should do is fill our heart with worship with real humility, 
But the ability to say, I am not worthy, but because of Jesus, I am a son and daughter of God. Thank you. This is amazing grace. This is, this is that wonder of the mercy that we were just singing about. When we say me, I never lose that wonder. This is what we're talking about. Thinking again and again and again about the good news of Jesus in spite of our brokenness should lead us to wonder and marvel at his mercy. And just like Gideon worshipped and then got up, the same is true of us. When we truly understand what Jesus has done for us, it's going to affect the way that we treat others. It's going to affect the way that we treat ourselves and what we get to see is God moving in power. When we're willing to admit our weakness, we're going to be amazed at the way when we invite friends to church that they say, yeah, there's something going on with you that, that I'm interested in. You took the blame when you messed up at work. I've never seen anybody do that. You have a relationship that is emotionally open. You, you love the person at work that no one else loves. You, you're honest about your struggles. May God begin to do that in your life and in mine. And may we be reminded of His goodness.